Welcome to In The Trap Podcast with me, your host, Sarah Harrison. Hope everyone is feeling great as much as I am. Uh, it's very, very nice here in London. We are experiencing a beautiful heat wave. <laughs> wow, that is so British of me to talk about the weather, but I'm serious. It does really take an effect. So yeah, I've been stocking up on that vitamin D, just good vibrations all around, getting my immune system up, which I guess is very needed. We are essentially, well, hopefully easing out of a pandemic. I guess rules and certain restrictions around the world are being reduced. Uh, of course, I would recommend some cautionary measures. Uh, I hope we shall have a corona-free summer or at least corona-less. Less coronavirus, more corona beers. And that is not even a sponsor. Anyway, I understand this podcast hasn't been maintaining any particular schedule of drops. But, you know, it's very difficult to structure yourself in these routineless months we have been experiencing. So I guess my advice to you would be to hit that subscribe button so you can just be alerted when it does drop. Uh, we are available on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Where else? We're on Audio Mac and SoundCloud too if you want to opt for the free streaming platforms. Get at me on social media too. My at name is I'm Sarah Harrison. Leave a comment too. Let's let's get the conversation going. Let me know uh, what your favorite episodes have been. You know what we do here? We dive into creative stories from conception to inception, literally from their beginning days of their upbringing and how they maneuvered through life in all types of industries, whether it's music, film, TV, fashion, entrepreneurship, business, tech, all of that stuff. This is the place for you. So we can have some fun and learn something at the same time. For episode five, I've invited a very close friend of mine who was actually one of the first DJs that I'd come across and spoken to, who was a professional already at the time, and I had just been starting out. So this is really one of my favorite episodes so far. And he is typically a man of many questions, but not many answers. So this is definitely a special occasion. You listeners of In The Trap Podcast are getting some exclusives, so stick around. He comes from a family history enriched in music and DJing. Growing up in North London, he was immersed in all types of genres, toying between MCing and DJing. At a young age, he worked under the wing of one of the UK's biggest hip-hop DJs. He talks about a few turning points in his career, from being in a crew to venturing as a solo act, with various radio stints in between. We dive into his mixtape era, which has had long-lasting effects, highlighting significant moments with notable figures in UK music, a photo archive to be reckoned with, the emancipation of his character, which led to avenues like podcasting and interviewing, and a lot more avenues to discover beyond his achievements thus far. An original sound boy, so MC, turned DJ, music collector and commentator, interviewer, podcaster and radio personality. SK Vibe Maker is here with me, Sarah Harrison, in the Trap Podcast. Actually, this is round two of this podcast because 
quick backstory <laughs> without boring the listeners. I had a big baffle with my technology and I could have potentially lost my data. It traveled all around the world, my hard drive, to be fixed. And it was fixed, but then we was like, nah, let's just do it again. Because <laughs> now you've got new gear, haven't you? SK Vibe Maker is in the building. It's normally kind of the other way around or we're normally on the same side of the mic. But today, you are receiving the questions. You are you are being interrogated, SK. It's mad. This this is happening a bit more these days. It's happening a lot more these days than it used to. I seem to be on the other side of the mic. I'm not mad at that though. It's more relaxing. It's more comfortable. I don't. I feel like I need to be on my toes less. Like when I'm when I'm on the other side, when I'm the one firing the questions, I feel like I need to be so on point. When I'm on the other side of the mic, I could just chill out. Did I say it? It's true. It's just, it's so much of a different experience, which is why we need to get our flowers. You feel like you need to get your flowers, but we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna reach we're gonna reach that stage where it's too premature because we're gonna take it back. So let's take it back right to the beginning. Who is SK Vibe Maker? Your family? Where were you born? Really? The, all of that? Of stuff? course, of course. <laughs> this is a autobiography. It's an autobiography. I'm gonna try to give it as brief as possible. Yeah, like because I don't know, people might find it interesting, but I might some people might find it boring. Like um, people often ask me the question. Let, let, let's start here people often ask me the question about my racial mix and it's simple for me my dad is jamaican fully jamaican um, he came here um part of the windrush generation in the early 70s which is um, actually commemorated today yeah yeah actually was it 70 72 years or something like that it was yeah you know what i'm saying Exactly, so like, um, June 22nd. Yeah, because I think obviously it started in the, the 50s or was it the 50s or the late 40s or something like that? Well, the majority of people in the Windrush generation came over in the, in the 50s and 60s. And my dad was one of those people who actually came over. See, he told me a date, but I don't know if he got his dates confused. But I feel like it's around 1972 that he came over. But my nan came before. My nan came before. And then she sent for him and he came over. That's how it usually would be like the elder would go first and then they'll send for the younger. So my dad is of um, Jamaican descent from Kingston, Jamaica, a place called Jonestown. Um, my mum is of, um, she's of mixed heritage of Italian and Trini. So my granddad is Trini on my mum's side and my nan is Italian of Hungarian descent. So there's a mix there. And my granddad is Trini of Ghanaian descent as well so like there's there's a lot there my granddad came to this country um in the 1950s i believe he was a marine or something like that <laughs> i say that a lot he was a marine and at the time he met so my you verified all of that information about the lineage of descent and then i said something like that <laughs> no but it was it was it was something like that you know what i'm saying but he was in the air force marine something like that but then he came to this country in the in the 50s he met my gran here, who had only been here, I think they met in Stratford-on-Avon or something like that. And like, um, she had only been here for like a matter of months. She'd come from Italy. Um, I think she came here to study. My nan was um, adopted, so she didn't actually know her biological parents. That's why there's the mix-up with the Hungarian background. But she's like Italian, she speaks Italian and stuff. But yeah, so that's some background into my heritage. And then fast forward a few years, you know, um, my, uh, my mom having me, um, me being, my mom was actually born in this country 
Um, I was born in this country as well, in London, um, growing up in London, in North London, going to school, being heavily mixed in music. Indirectly, my granddad, after he was a Marine, he became very renowned as being a DJ. Um, at the time, he was part of the soul and funk circuit. Well, I say he's part of the funk and soul, soul circuit. He was part of a documentary of one of the like sort of four um, front, uh, how would you say it? Groundbreakers. Pioneers. The pioneers, because in the times like in the 70s and 80s, he was he was a host and a DJ, but he was very charismatic. His name was Castor Gas. Um, he used to DJ at a place called Annabelle's, which was um, a, a gentleman's club in West London. And um, a lot of royalty used to go there. Um, a lot of famous people. He tells me stories about so many people, man. It's still S around, right? It's still around. Annabelle's. It's still around now. Annabelle's is still there, man. It, it's a gentleman's club. It's, it's, a, it's members only. It's Have very, you played there? I've never played there. He's always wanted me to like sort of, you know, fulfill some sort of heritage torch pass on and, and DJ there and stuff. But, you know, obviously he, he was um, very much involved in the owners back then, but the torch is being passed on to other members of the family and the connection's all different now. But um, yeah. Oh yeah, of course. That's what happens. Indirectly. I wasn't, I wasn't in, I wasn't directly influenced in music by my granddad but all of the stories that he's told me over the years since have um they've been they've been you know sprinkles of gold dust of of knowledge and just mad stories man i actually had him come on my show one time um at christmas to do a christmas special a couple of years back man shouts to kiana and darius they was there as well and we just went we done a like um, this is your life with my granddad and he told mad stories man from like Princess Diana, Princess Diana, the the royals to like Muhammad Ali. To, I mean, there's so many people like um, John Lennon. So many people that my granddad sat down with, and and he and used to had smoke. personal interactions, Literally, not just on the down DJ and smoke. Stuff. They used to sit down and smoke. That's an incredible piece <laughs> you know of history. Saying? So my granddad has got stories. Sometimes, like I swear, some of these stories my granddad tells me, they're so outrageous that you'd think he's making them up. And it's from an era where like a lot of things aren't documented as well. So like, of course, he's got like photos. He's got a few photos and stuff, but there's no video and there's no like, my, my, my granddad never done radio. So he was like very much an international DJ. So where is he... DJ'd in Annabelle's and some other spots, some other named classic iconic places in West in the central London that the names elude me at this point in time. He was also DJing around the world. And that's what he made wow. his living off of as well. Like he wasn't after being a Marine, I think he was an accountant for a little while, and then he was just an international DJ. And he DJed throughout the 70s and 80s and 90s as this international DJ. Did he say how he made that transition into becoming that DJ? I think he was just he was really good. At, he was a he was an animated character, and he was like he just had the gift of the gap. Do you know, charismatic. What I'm he was charismatic. He still is now. If you meet him, he's just he's he's a he's just an interesting guy. You know so saying? we can listen back to this show, right, with all these stories. Do you know, I actually I, I feel like I feel like I need to put it on my own SoundCloud. That's you what I do. Need to do. And and funny enough, speaking to my granddad the other day, I feel like I want to sit down and interview him and do some type of like fact find. There's millions of stories. But like I said, I wasn't directly influenced by him initially. So like um, I was in school. I was in the school corridors. We used to sound clash. We used to MC. People didn't, we used to battle. 
people didn't want to smoke. They used to run away and hide at lunchtime. You couldn't find guys. And then so that, this was in North London? Uh, yeah, in North London, in, in secondary school, man. So that's what we used to do in secondary school. Not so much in place and uh, but in school. In school. And that transitioned to us also then doing sets. Like whoever had the decks, we used to go to their house. They would, you know what I mean? They they, they were the, they were the um, popular person. There was two friends I had who had decks. We used to go to their house. We used to do sets. We used to record them as well. And um, that's where it started. And it transitioned from there, leaving school, like the end of school, um, carrying on with that, being like sort of a sound boy. But at the same time, I went to work at the BBC. And, and that's where like I sort of um, become very aligned with Tim Westwood and learned a lot from him. Funkmaster Flex used to be around sometimes. Cypher Sounds used to be around sometimes. I was just a young kid. Cypher 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 doesn't remember me from them days when I was sitting in the back of the car. Westwood's driving around. Cypher's in the front, uh, and like I'm just there. I'm just one. I'm just. A, I'm just a youth. But there wasn't even mad people around. But I could. I. I. I, I yeah. There was times, man. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Look, we're gonna get to that part, but. You fully skipped. Like, let's go back. <laughs> so when you, um, so in your school days, uh, you, well, you seem at the beginning of this podcast, you're very well versed in your heritage and the lineage of that. Did you feel like that was the community growing up around you as well? Did your circle of friends and just your classmates have that sense of culture embedded in them? Like what, what type of school did you go to, to the, to the point where, you know, you did have friends that had DJ decks like why was music such a, a close thing a passion in your community uh, I don't even know I went to a very I went to a, I never went to like a black school or a white school I went to a mixed school man it was a mix like it was a mix it was an even mix man uh when, when I say there was an even mix I'm talking about a mix between white um African Caribbean and Turkish people you but a healthy mix or well that obviously the the the, the there was a a bigger swing towards the the native people of this country like the white people the english people the Brit, like english sorry but like um i mean like heritage wise there were african kids african heritage kids there caribbean heritage kids there and and turkish kids man because i feel like at around the times in sort of like the where would you say the 90s into the noughties, there was there was a there was a, a Turkish immigration to this country. And there was um, a lot of Turkish kids in our school. New, 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 new kids as well that had just sort of come. Yeah. So essentially you yeah, it was um a very healthy mixture of, of cultures that yeah. was expressed through music, you would say. Yeah, but at the same time it was clicky, man. I'm not gonna sit here and be like all of us were going and doing the radio sets. It wasn't like a mass thing in the school. And I don't even, I remember, first memories I remember, yeah, of like me sort of getting involved in DJ culture is um, there was this guy at the end of my road who used to play his music loud from his window. And my dad was a mechanic. So what the hustle was, is I was intrigued to go in this guy's house. He was a neighbor. Like we knew him, like we like it was a neighbor that we used to speak to. I knew his mum. His mum was an older woman. His brother and the guy, I think his name was Adam. His name was Adam. He, and, and years after, he used to always ride around on his bike. But anyway, that's another story. So I wanted, and I was intrigued to go in there, and see what he was doing, and just be there. So my hustle. I was always a sneaky kid. 
So I said to him, because my dad was a mechanic and he was the local mechanic that everyone used to want to like get help and favours from. I said to this guy, Adam, my dad wants you to do him like a recording. He wants you to do him a set. Do you know what I'm saying? And but I you need, did, this was you nah, making it up. This was me making it up. And I said to him, but I need to help you pick the tunes. Bearing <laughs> in mind, yeah, this guy plays house music. House music. I never liked house music. And for sure, my dad didn't like house music. But I was just intrigued in the DJ culture. So through, yeah, that, through your dad playing music at home or through radio, what mom, was it? My, what was the consumption? Mainly, mainly my mum, my mum. But it wasn't DJ or like sound culture. I used to listen to sound tapes, reggae, dancehall sound tapes, Stone Love, Bodyguard. Like I used to listen to those, but that was a different type of thing. But that was an involvement in music, sound system, culture. But um, yeah, so my hustle was to get in this. I remember being about, I must have been about nine or 10 years old because my dad left when I was 10 years old. So I must have been about nine, ten years old. Eight, eight, nine, ten years old. And I'm just wow. a little kid. So I'm speaking to this youth, this man who plays his music loud from his window. He's come out and been on the street one time. I've seen him and said, yeah, my dad wants a recording. He wants you to record him a set or whatever so he can listen to it. And um, I need to help you pick the tunes. So I remember on occasion standing in this guy's room. And obviously my mum my, my and my dad know his family and stuff and standing in his room while he's blasting out a house set and I'm just watching and that so has you to, just did it for your personal pleasure that was my personal pleasure and intrigue and that has to be on record I have to say probably one of my first recollections of being involved in a room where a DJ is playing music at like I would have to say this is about nine nine ten years old yeah my dad and left. that that triggered a switch into how I don't even you know, know you... if it must have triggered. It must have. It must mm. have triggered, man. Because that like that was before secondary school. And then from then secondary school, that's when we started emceeing in the school corridors and like um just getting very involved in that sound system culture. My friend Jamal had decks in his house, and next friend called Tom had decks in his house, and next friend called Andrew had decks. And the guys who had decks, <laughs> they could have been the like the neekiest of guys or just the like horriblest of guys or whatever. I'm not saying neeks and horrible guys are synonymous, but I'm saying they could have been any kind of characters. If they had decks, you wanted to be there in their house. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's what we've done, man. And it was times blasting in my friend Jamal's house. We used to blast the music until his mum used to come and knock on the door and be like, you got to turn down the music. We turn down the music for five minutes. She'll go downstairs. We turn it up again. You know what I'm saying? Anytime we knocked on Jamal's door to um, come around the mum, she used to look at us like, oh, she used to like dislike us because we was coming around to her house and like, like we were swaying her son to play loud music in the house. That's basically what it was. Wow. But he had the equipment. He so... had the decks, man. He had the decks. I don't know how. And, and it's funny when you think back and you think to yourself, I don't even know how he afforded to have decks. I don't know what he done. Yeah, man, we're doing different things still. But yeah, I don't know how Jamal had decks. And we're talking actual turntables. Decks, of course. Technics 1210 decks, vinyl turntables. They were pricey in their yeah. initial days. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. This is a crazy. Good, this is about this is a good 20 years ago. Get this me. This is a good 12 point something kilo item. Did you know that that's how much it weighs? No, you've put me it's on. It's like 12.1. Is that's that the reason heavy. why they're called 1210s? No, isn't that the the size i have no idea i don't even know why they call technics 12 10s 12 maybe it's 12 by 10 inches 
Oh, wow. This is like really <laughs> testing our knowledge <laughs> as DJs. We'll have to verify that. No, but shall um, I tell you one thing? You see what, like, not even going off the subject a bit. There was a, there, there's been a lot, a lot of time in my life where there's been things I haven't really known that I've just blasted, I've just passed off. Like, I'll just be like, I don't really know that. And now, this point in my life, I've been doing a lot of research. So if there's anything that comes up, I make a note of it and I probably research it that same day or the day after. I've just been researching bare random things. Uh, something, news. So like 1210s, I don't know why it's called 1210s. Put it in my file, search it, research it. That's what I've been doing, bare of that. What, like as of lockdown or just as of even... Literally in the last week. That's crazy because I feel like I've been doing the same. And I saw this on someone's Instagram. They quoted a book and it said, if it's something... I mean, you put you make a note of it and go back to it. But if a task takes less than two minutes, you should do it immediately. Straight up. So it's kind of almost it's a similar notion, I guess. But yeah, that that idea of of learning even just a small term terminology that you passed off, I think it's really important. Like, yeah, I'm I'm with that. I support that, and um, yeah, I feel the same. I do the same. If I'm to to be honest, if to be honest, a lot of the things I've been looking into and researching have been around politics and race. To be honest. A lot of them has been around politics and race, far right wing, fascism, socialism, com communism, um, the, the, the capitalism, the Cold War, um, loads of terms that I never knew. Like I never knew what um, patriarch, was it, pa pa you know, pa a patri being a patriarch, yeah, patriarch. I never knew what that was. I never knew what xenophobic was. I'm, I'm really putting, I'm putting my neck. I never knew what xenophobic is a word I always heard. I never knew what it was. I looked into it. And the it. spelling is, is mad spelling. So I've reached a stage in my life that I'm not just like casting things off. Like this word always comes up and I don't actually know what it, what it is. I've just been researching stuff. And that's going to propel you even more in, in the interview, you know, arena, honestly. Terminology is big. It, you know, reading is a huge part of making you more of a verbally, you know, elite. Yeah. When I graduated... <laughs> um, I feel like I maxed out. I've done all the research I feel like I needed to done. I've done the most reading I've done in my life. And I feel like when I graduated, <laughs> I said, I'm done. And that's when I stopped reading. It was a burnout. I hear you. Mad. I hear you on that. Well, it's funny because now we're, we're seeing a lot of errors and untold stories and untold parts of life in, in the curriculum. So I guess that's even more of a thing of like, well, was it all worth going to school? Like, was it, was it? Was it really what I needed? But, you know, it, it just tells you that society and living and embracing and actually immersing yourself with different cultures is the best way to learn in life, honestly. But a lot is. is a lot is on people's personal research. Like, on one hand, you're being fed stuff, but why always just accept only what you're being fed? That's the easy, that's the easy road, the, the, the easy route. Yeah, you, you have I mean? to you be inquisitive. Proactive, man. Be yeah, proactive. Yeah. I agree. All right, let's take it back to those corridor school days of emceeing. What would you say that MC culture was like? Where did it stem from? You know, who was who were the the figures at that time that were inspiring that movement? Oh man, it it could be anywhere of a boiling pot between um talking about MCs of varying capacities that inspired me. Anyone from Redman to Shabba Ranks to to Bujibanton to um MCs like Skibidi, Det, Hyper D, um, then to like Wiley and Dizzy Rascal, all of these MCs, man. It was a boiling pot of all of these, which were like the MCs that 
were all in our ears, man, that we was listening to. Then, then like um, DJs like Shy FX. Um, Shy FX, man. I always give credit to Shy FX. Um, again, like being around Westwood, um, Funkmaster Flex, Cypher Sounds, um, Fat Man Scoop even being an influence, um, Chris Goldfinger. Um, they're names that come to mind, man. Sorry if I'm forgetting anybody right about now, but they're definitely names that come to mind and were big inspirations of this MC and, and DJ culture. Rest in peace, DJ Swing as well. Very remarkable. Shorty Blitz, Bad Boy on the decks. Yeah. Definitely. You've mentioned a handful of people that are across the water, but some are here, you know, on home turf. Was there ever a point where you felt like the American influence and you know, the, the Jamaican influence, the Caribbean influence overtook the British edge. Uh, I know there was a time where MCs tried to mimic the American accent to actually break the commercial world. But how was it back in the, you know, in those, in those school corridors? You know, what was the cool thing to do? In this country, the, the MC culture has definitely, in my lifetime or sort of my scope, which I could see, um, it's transitioned from jungle drum and bass to garage to grime to UK hip hop being a, a, a partner of that, but then getting it sort of dominance or coming to the forefront, maybe after or around the same time as grime. And that was that's sort of the lineage. UK hip hop's been around, been active since the 80s. Shout out to, you know, Rodney P, Black Twang. Thai, skinny man, um, guys like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, but it was characterized by US sound in terms of the foundations of it. Yeah, but I still think that there were some of those MCs that majority of those MCs that I've mentioned had a very, a very strong backbone in UK, in the UK sound and the UK culture. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, there was always the influence. Like, let's not get it twisted. Hip hop originated in New York in the Bronx. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that is the big daddy over there. That's the that's the forefather. But then the UK has found its identity slowly over the years. Slowly, I think it has been slowly, but now the identity is truly there. Do you know what I'm saying? As but it's interesting because hip hop. I feel you know we all know it really stems from dance hall and sound systems like that's what i feel like the elements of hip-hop are are reminiscent of it's you know the dj the mc and the dancers you know it's the dance floor and i just feel like the uk originated so many sounds but they they have always been dimmed or seen as underground or seen as niches but in, in actual fact so many genres are bred in the uk but they, they tend to break elsewhere. Um, like Chicago House is is almost reminiscent of like Funky House or like, do you know what I'm saying? Like there's always like these little copies, but you're like, where did it start first? And I do feel like the UK is, is almost dimmed in, in that conversation. You know, I don't want to sound controversial, but there was definitely a, a, a time when a lot of people thought that Timberland was quite inspired by the UK, but maybe not giving credit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like some of those beats that he was making in like the early noughties, a lot of them sounded very kind of like drum and bassy influence. Do you know what I'm saying? And he 
took it and twisted it, but they sound inspired. It might be coincidence, but it's a big coincidence. You know what I'm saying? So it's not just well, it's not just those sounds that someone like Timberland was was alluding to. You know, the Indian culture, the Middle Eastern, the everything, and I think it's big business in America. You know, so the world kind of follows what America is projecting. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's been that's been the case. I, I feel like and. You know, the UK being a, a smaller counterpart of that, I feel like might have fallen in its shadows. But let's talk about SK then, kind of metamorphosizing from MCing to DJing, or was there ever a time when the two were hand in hand? You know, what was that like? Well, okay, SK Vibe Maker is my name now. And like we started as SK Vibe Makers, I say we, there was a group of us. There was a group of us. There was five or six. There was five or six of us. And um, for the first two years, we had mad fun, man. We, we we DJed in many places. We was just like young. We was just, that was our intro into, in, into this. And we was just, it was a lot of fun. But then as life, you get a bit older and life pulls you in different directions. There were two of us. We became, so initially we were SK vibe makers, but the SK stood for shorter crew. You know what I'm saying? But then then we became SK Vibe Makers to make it a bit more, you know, not so violent, not such a not such an aggressive shorter crew, you know what I mean? But even though Oh, so you were, actually did go by shorter crew for a period of we time crew. before you we abbreviated were, yeah, it. Yeah, we were shorter crew. We started out. Who as thought of crew. that? Um <laughs> I might have to give Cooley. Cooley, like so initially it was Cooley, Pelpa, Looney, Rain Man, and myself. I was known as FX back then. So there was five of us and there was Cabby who was like a, a in and out kind of member. So that's six of us. I feel like Cooley or Pelpa might have given us the name Shorter Crew. So we were Shorter Crew at first. And then, you were FX. <laughs> and I was FX as an individual. So like, so yeah. So, and then we we we, we evolved. We've, we felt that maybe it might limit us to be called Shorter Crew because we had aspirations to do, you know, many bigger things. And Shorter Crew sounded a bit maybe local and a bit more smaller minded. Shotter being someone who sells things as a hustler, maybe legally or illegally. And the reason why it was Shotter, because one guy made and sold clothes. One guy was selling um, phones, he worked in a, a phone shop. And next guy was shotting in the in the truest aspect of what shotting was. And... Um, yeah, that's uh, so we were shorter crew, and I wasn't. I wasn't the shorter. I wasn't the one that was selling phones, selling anything. But I was in the shorter <laughs> crew, and then and then and then and then like we evolved into being called SK Vibe Makers, S K for shorter crew, SK Vibe Makers. Within like a year and a half or two years, we was down to two members. Another four years after that, it was me alone, and I became SK Vibe Maker because. I didn't want to rebrand again. We'd already rebranded from Shotter Crew to SK Vibe Makers. I needed to, we'd done too much groundwork for me to start a whole name again. So True. I became SK Vibe Maker. And, and some people still know me as FX. In the beginning years as well, yeah, man, I was, I, I was, I was always serious about music, man. I feel like working, I worked at the BBC. So the BBC gave me a real training and an education into um, broadcasting, radio and stuff. 
This was directly out of school or during school, like some sort of this program? Was, this is right, literally, as I finished school. Okay. As I finished school, man, I was working at the BBC for a few years, man. I was working, um, doing publishing up there as well. So all the tracks that get played on the shows, um, logging them into a system and making sure the artists get paid. And I was, I was working um, part of Westwood's production company as well, Justice. I sell part of your street team as well. And, you applied um, for it or you got recruit, sort of headhunted or what again, was that? hustling, man. I, I always have to, I always have to go to this, man. When there was things I wanted to do, I went, whoops, I went straight to the source. So I, I got a job at the BBC. I got in there at the BBC by knowing or making friends with the guy who was the, the guy who used to work at reception. I got in there via him. I can't remember his name. I got a picture of him somewhere because he's in the background of some picture that I took. I can't even remember his name. So you just used to pull up and... He like... just got me... I, I just became friends and got to know him. And then he pointed me in the right direction. And next thing you know, I was in there at the BBC working up there, man. And gained sick, sick um, experience up there, man. So by this time you had already let go of your SK Vibe Makers days? The, the the group had dispersed? No, 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 no. This is like sort of before and at the beginning of Shot Crew. Oh, yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. But you still kind of operated as individuals as well? Because you, you, you were obviously now, by at yourself. This time, at this time, I was just like, I was just a young kid, man. I just wanted to get involved with music. So like... um I feel like if I made a decision earlier then, like I wanted to be, you can always say this and that, but at that time, I wasn't thinking about being a DJ seriously. I used to buy, I've bought records and bought music since I was like eight, nine years old. Hence the big, the decent record collection and the CD, CDs. Yeah, I just bought CDs and I bought vinyl, man. I bought vinyl before I even had turntables. And you bought them out of interest, rather uh, out of use. Yeah, I just wanted. I just, I just wanted to buy. It's like I don't know what people's inspiration behind buying comics and magazines were, but I feel like maybe that was with me buying vinyl. I just bought vinyl. Were you attracted with the, you know, the whole packaging? Like it used to be such a, a piece of. No, to be art. honest, we were doing sets, so that's that's where it comes from. So we were doing sets. So I never had decks. But I bought records to go to my friend's house and do sets. Okay. So I bought records. In in internally, like not DJing in club, like no, in, no, in no, like no. house parties. No, or no. What this was is it? like when we're like, this is like when we're like 11, 12, 13 years old. Right, right, okay. And we used to go to my friend's house. Like this is after the guy Adam going into his house, seeing him DJ, me deciding to buy vinyl. My friend had decks, go to his house, do radio sets. We're doing this in school. We're sound clashing in the school corridor. We're buying, I'm buying CDs and I'm buying vinyl before I had decks. And then, yeah, that's, that's how it continued. But as Shot Crew, where were you active? Well, oh, so Shot Crew. So when we started the Shot Crew, we was on Heat FM. We was on Heat FM. It's a station which started up in North London, which is now defunct. It was 96.6 FM was very infamous in North London. And yeah, being... Legal? No, nah, Pirate Radio, man. Pirate, pirate Radio. He's on Pirate. It was Pirate Radio, man. 
there's only there's 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 not many pirate radio stations I got. I wasn't the kind of person that wanted to go on and look like there was other DJs, MCs, or whatever people on the pirate radio circuit that went on loads of pirate radio stations. I think we we went on Mystic Radio twice. We lived on Heat FM for a year or so. Moved to Deja Vu was on there for a couple of years, and then Rinse FM. And then, um, and then, and then I've had a stint of like doing cover shows on one extra. I haven't been a radio whore. Do you know what I'm saying? And pyro radio, I've done as well. Did you say you haven't or you have? I haven't been a radio whore. I mean, that's a pretty like decent run in terms of like moving around a little bit. Do you think it's a lot? Well, it's more than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, but then maybe it's because I've been different. doing radio a little bit longer. Yeah, it's different now. Like. Radio is becoming obsolete, so it's not like you're seeing newer, yeah, new radio stations, new radio stuff. stations uh, coming onto the scene and pirate radio. You know, I was watching a few documentaries. Was such a an important time in history of UK music and yeah, UK of, culture in general. Of the infrastructure, man. Of the infrastructure, exactly. Yeah, man. So at the same time, like when I was on like Heat FM before I was on Heat FM. I was up, I was like, I was at the BBC, I was working at the BBC and I was in the studio with Westwood, man, when he was doing his radio show. As a young Don, I feel like I had a level of responsibility. I was walking around my chest, you know what I'm saying? I was in places where if I wasn't working at the BBC, I found myself just in this place, in these places. And I was like, I wasn't like ever starstruck or I was never overwhelmed, but I found myself in places and I was like, wow, man. Again, like, you know where I feel like my granddad had stories to tell? I feel like maybe I've got some stories to tell. But when I think back, I think, wow. Do you know what I'm saying? It's almost like at the time you didn't quite grasp the the legendary factor of them. Yeah. And how much, you know, how much these, these you know, for people that are listening and don't know, SK has a, a true photo album that is is unconfeasible. <laughs> You know, people talk about the photo album and the photo album is one thing in it. It's documentation of, of things. Do you know what I mean? It's a documentation. But you are, you know, you're, as you said, you you were in rooms with Destiny's Child, Jay-Z, Eminem. And at the time, yes, they were, they were obviously prominent in their field. And as musicians, bearing in mind at the time, it was still very much like a, a major label game. So it's either you're signed and you're on su of a superstar status or you're nothing. Like it's no, there's no such thing really as underground that you would kind of be gassed about, if that makes sense. Um, but you were around these people and these people have then gone on to to sustain that prominence. You know, they mm -hmm. didn't die down. They, they continued their legend status. So, you know, you were in those rooms and I feel like, do you, well, did you ever feel like your peers, you know, there was some tension in, within, within your peers about you being around these people and getting these opportunities? I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog game, man. And I don't really concentrate too much on rivals and all of that stuff because I think it's a, sometimes a human instinct to be, like, like, a bit envious, but not, like, toxically envious. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you could be like, oh, like, Sarah, you might go somewhere today and you might, like, you might have been in the studio with with Kendrick Lamar and because me and you were cool I'd be like oh I wish I was there with you do you know what I'm saying so that's like a bit of envy but it's not a hostile envy 
So there's right. a lot. There's a lot of that goes on. But then there are there is hostile and toxic envy as well. But I don't really yeah. care. I wouldn't say I pay attention to that much. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you were taking all of these experiences back with you onto the Heat FM's. The did you say Deja Vu? Because mm, some of these were some of these were before. Do you know what I'm saying? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Some of these were before. So yeah, I suppose it's you know, I could have stayed. I could have maybe stayed like maybe in the BBC pocket or under Westwood's arm or whatever. But I chose to spread my own wings. And I suppose that being at a very young age and like sort of being, I was with Westwood and he was involved in a, a major incident, which was like a, a life-changing moment for me at such a young age, man. I was like, whoa, something's got to change. Do you know what I'm saying? That's me being in the car with him when he was um, shot. So at that time, being very young at the time, I was like, yo, fingers are... I needed to make a choice and a decision in it. So that helped me to sort of, you know, doing spread my own your thing, wings. spread my wings, man. <laughs> You're like doing the movement, yeah. but you can't... <laughs> <laughs> you can't see it. Yeah. There, you can see it now. It's something you like can that. See... <laughs> <laughs> that saying. All right. Oh, wow. So I, I didn't know that that was... Um... That was the trigger and the turning point for you. Yeah, it was a turning point, man. It was a turning point. I, I think that anyone who's in a situation or is part of an incident like that, and especially if it wasn't of your causing, like I'm in a car, I ain't got nobody after me. I ain't got no one that wants to kill me. I'm in a car and the car's sprayed up with bullets. Wow. At that point, do you know what I'm saying? Westwood got shot in his arm, hitting a bullet in his arm, and a guy next to me, shouts to Glenn, got shot in his knee. And, um, yeah, do you know what? This is actually the first time on record I've spoken about this. Do you know what I'm Seriously? saying? The first time on record that I've spoken about this. And from that time, obviously, I had to wake up, man. To wake up. Obviously, at, the, at this time as well, I'm I'm like... I've got to stay on the straight and narrow, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm studying at this time as well. This could have, this could have like, um, derailed, totally derailed me. <laughs> totally derailed me, man. And so was that a conversation or was it literally like, you just did it? Nah, man, I just did it, man. I made, I made a choice. Obviously my mum, she's like, she's like, yeah, she's obviously going to save. she's going to, you know, say, She's not going to encourage me to stick around in that situation. No, no, of course. <laughs> but was there a hesitation or a little bit of anxiety in terms of... All right, let me say this. Was the anxiety worse of you leaving and having to find your own way? Or was it worse if you stayed? No, it was straightforward for me. I feel like it was a straightforward decision. Yeah. It was a straightforward decision, man. I've got to, I've got to spread my wings. I've got to like... Um, you want to be around positive things in your life, innit? Yeah. You want to, you, you have to actively try and be around positive things in your life. And that wasn't positive. That weren't positive. Me being in any type of vehicle that's going to be shot. Or being around in general, anyone in that's going to be a target. Do you know what I'm saying? Not saying that they, anyone around was purposely making himself a target. But mm. yeah, obviously I had to take a take a breath and, and and choose wisely okay so what did the next chapter then look like for you 
the next chapter was car- carrying on and getting through academics. Do you know what I'm saying? While at the same time, then um, steering my own path in this music journey. Do you know what I'm saying? Radio being still a platform in, in terms of as a, being a DJ, that was the pinnacle of, of, of what a DJ would would have to, you know, be a part of? Initially, it wasn't actually my... Um, I wasn't aspiring to be on radio. It wasn't... Like, at those early days, you, you're going with the wind. Like, I'm, I'm going with the... I, I never made the decision at that 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 early point there to, oh, I want to do radio, I want to do this, I want to do that. You're going, you're going... I'm still in, like... I'm still in academics and I'm um, still studying, you know what I mean? And I'm still... Trying to find when you my say way studying, you're in uni or as I'm in, in like college, studying? Man. No, man. Wow. I mean, like this is this is like, I think I just started college. Like I'm like I'm how old am I, man? I'm like I'm like 16 or something at this time, man. Do you know what I'm saying I'm I'm a young buck, man. I'm trying to like I'm I'm trying to find my way as a as a as an individual as a man as a human. Yeah. And at the same time, um, yeah, staying on a positive on on a positive path. So then, um. That's I feel like then at that same time is when Shotter Crew started. And then Cooley at the time, remembering the crew, I feel like he was the one who sorted us out to go on Heat FM. And then it was like my attention was immediately directed into this. Do you know what I'm saying? Rather than sitting down and pondering, oh man, I'm not around this situation anymore. And I want maybe if I wanted to be part of that situation, I was like, keep it moving and step in. I'm doing this now. Heat FM, shorter crew, bang. Mixtapes. I know mm. you had a stint of you being heavily involved in the mixtape culture. Tell, mm. tell us about that. Yeah, man. Um, done a few mixtapes over the years. Um, I didn't. I didn't ever plan to stop doing them, but I feel like I just got pulled away. So at the time, I was doing mixtapes, and I started doing podcasting after that. So I like kind of exchange the mixtapes for podcasts but then um yeah mixtapes man them early days done mixtapes with um sway some of them were unauthorized but authorized but unauthorized but authorized so like <laughs> so like it was a hustle so then i'd like kind of i'd get authorized bits from the artists but that's mixtape culture do you know what i'm saying it it's like it's like <laughs> do you know what i'm saying so it's like I was sitting in Sway's house and we done like an interview and we recorded some vocals and then I made it into a mixtape. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, same with Kano. Um, we recorded some interview parts and then I just got loads of exclusive tracks together, unauthorized tracks and blah, 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 rare tracks. What do you mean? So you'd get speech recording and lay it over an instrumental? What, what so do you I'd mean? So I'd sit down and do an interview with them or a conversation and then I'd chop the conversation up amongst the mixtape. Do you know what I'm saying? So, oh, so, that's what so it do. will be, so they, okay. They, they'll almost be like interludes. Interludes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so it'd be like, I can't even remember what we'd be talking about, but that's what I'd done with Sway, Kano. That's hard. Um, I'm sure you have these mixtapes. I know you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got them. I've got them. Some of them, like, say, for example, so because some of them were authorised, unauthorised, authorised, unauthorised, unauthorised, authorised kind of situations. When these mixtapes got some level of infamy, I'd be contacted certain times like, oh, not naming no artists or no names or whatever. Like, like let me let me mention. So there was 
There was ones I'd done with, um, there was one I'd done with Meridian Bloodline, which was like um, Skepta's old crew. Um, there was one, some of the infamous ones, there was one I'd done with Sincere, who's now Fredo's manager um, and, and runs um, Stay Get Lizzie. I'd done one with um, Sway, the one I mentioned, Kano. Um, Maxwell D was part of Pay As You Go crew with like Wiley and, and, and all them, Major Ace. Um, they're the ones that come to mind at the moment. There was a Lethal Bizzle one as well. Yeah, there was a few, man. There was a few. And so so what would happen, these mixtapes would gather so much infamy that sometimes, not again, not naming which project I'm talking about or which artist it was, they would be actually be aligned with or as infamous or sometimes overshadowing their official release. Mad. So then they would be reviewing our mixtape in certain publications and websites and blogs. So then I'd get a contact from the artist's management or PR saying, the camp saying, oh, can you like take down this mixtape or whatever? So I take them down. So some of them have been like um, put in the vault, but people have got them. People have got them. I always get messages every so often like, oh, can you re-up blah, blah, blah mixtape? And it's quite interesting. So you said blogs and stuff like that would talk about it, but but the actual mixtape was in physical form. So, yeah, they were physical as well. They were physical. And i tell you what as well, maybe you could say some of the mixtapes were sold, but a lot of them were like hand-to-hand give-outs. So it was just free. Promo. Promo, yeah, man. Free we used promo. to give them out. We used to give them out. Some of them- yeah, so why would, why would anyone shut down that sort of operation when yeah. it's technically free promo? And yeah, you owe. Promo. You've actually... Put money in your pocket to get these CDs produced. Like yeah. CDs ain't free. Yeah, we used to, I bought a duplicator machine. I used to duplicate them mixtapes myself. Some of them, some of them, some of them, some of them we actually got done like as actual proper CDs. Because some of them were sold. Okay. And like I again I done I done one with Wretch for you too as well. I done one with Biggs. Um yeah, man, it was mixtapes, man. The mixtapes, it was it was fun. Them mixtapes really got out to places, man. They really, really got out to places. I, I tell you, man, years after people were mentioning the mixtapes, man. So not only I used to do mixtapes on artists, then we used to do mixtapes with just like, just music, just, just compilations. tracks. Compilations. Hosting, you know what I'm saying? So they used to get out of so many places, man. I feel like one day, I don't know if I'd upload it, but you know, like when you become more like seasoned and experienced, you look back at some of your old work and you're like... The way that I would do it now would be so better or different. So you look back, you frown upon your old old work. You would frown upon it, but an audience would actually appreciate what the trajectory has been for you. Literally the very reason why I do this podcast, because I feel like the story makes the person who the person is now. It, mm. You wouldn't be who you are now and you wouldn't be as polished and as matured in your skills if it wasn't those mistakes and those you know being rough around the edges straight up do you are you not you not agree no i agree man you live and you learn man you make mistakes you get back up again and then you i think a big thing for me is uh you learn so much from mistakes in it like so much that you can learn from a mistake it's like how to mm. how to attack it differently the next time and not go through that same problem again so you learn so much from mistakes and the rough rides along the way the bumps man what year do you remember putting the mixtapes to bed and because you felt like uh, this is a dying format? The mixtape? No, I didn't think it was a dying format. I didn't think it was a dying format. I feel like the majority of that, those mixtapes were like 04 to 
to about 2007. 2007 is when I started doing podcasting. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, man. Around That's that really time, early in the podcasting media format. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, was doing, I was doing a podcast. I was doing a podcast, man. Shout out to Colin Batzer, um, who now runs Caroline. He's now one of the big dogs at Caroline International over here. You know, signing many artists like DBE and H and all of them lot. So with him, we started up a podcast. It was the UK Street Sounds Urban World Podcast. And um, started up around 2007. And I think I've done it up until about 2017. I reckon I've done it about 10 years. And it was literally, it was an artist interviewing podcast. So every, 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 I used to do like, it was supposed to be weekly, but it basically used to work out to about four or five podcasts a month. And I've done that for 10 years, man. A hell of, wow, hell of 10 years. Yeah, 10 years, man. Yeah. Jesus. So there's That's a lot crazy. of... Oh my God, of... there's a big fly. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got flyobia? I've got You know what? There's, there's a fly in here as well, man. I don't know if it's 3D. 3D? Like you got a fly there, I got a fly here. It's like pretty coincidental, isn't it? What's 3D got? I'm thinking like, how how ironic is that? You got a fly flying around in your place, and I got a fly. So is whatever you got going on there projecting oh. some 3D kind of like oh, virtual maybe, reality yeah. in here? I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. We're too no. advanced for them. <laughs> so, okay, a 10-year run on the Urban World podcast, all at the same time as you having graduated onto the Rinse FM platform, right? Yeah. I've been at Rinse FM since, I'm not sure what year it was. I think it's about 2008. I think it's about wow. 2008. So, and you know what, like, you see what the maddest thing is. And thank you very much, Sarah, as well, for taking, like, an interest. Because I know, like, our, our thing is, like, being DJs and presenters, it can be interesting to a niche and, like, maybe not as interesting to, a, like, a, another maybe wider audience. So, it's interesting in like even reaccounting some of these stories and telling these things because I'm not a person that actually, even though I do throwbacks with photos on my Instagram, I'm not actually a person that looks back a lot. So like somebody might be like, oh, you've been on rinse for like how many years? And I'm like, yeah, I don't actually see it as that long because maybe wow. I'm looking forward and I'm looking at like, you know what I mean? It, but I always need to remind myself that it's very important to, appreciate the journey you've come and where you are because sometimes you can be like oh i'm not where i want to be but how about you think about it's like whether you want to look at the glass as half full or half empty so look at what you filled up in the glass as opposed to not what's in the glass do you know what i'm saying so it's that same kind of mindset but i don't tend to actually look back that much but yeah when i look back it's i don't do anniversary shows i never done like a 10-year show i don't think about how long i've been broadcasting or on radio for how long i've been doing it it's just not something i i think about much because you're more consumed with the what's next yeah like being consistent and just working i love to work I love yeah. to work. And I think that I, I do feel like sometimes a lot of my work is behind the scenes as well. Cause people might not even know, like, I feel like I'm quite um, prolific with my output. Um, maybe sometimes the output isn't um, as received as much as I would like it to be, but I am involved in organizing interviews and, um, 
all everything like the logistical side of things the editing side of things the preparation side of things and obviously sitting down and doing an interview that just goes for interviews the same with radio when doing my radio show doing a breakfast show for like just over two years that was me like preparing a show plan, preparing all the music, the clean edits, sourcing the music, sourcing the interviews, editing things all together. So I'm pretty hands-on with the logistical side of things and the editing. So I feel like sometimes as creatives, when we are involved in the back end, it can like bog us down. So there's a lot of like, we're in the background, like like lab rats and doing all this stuff where, like where, I, where I have to really respect the influencers <laughs> as they call them. The influencers is they do a lot of stuff and it's just for the bag, for the visibility. Sometimes us as like the true creatives and influencers as well, we can fall victim to just being like bogging ourselves down in the mechanics too much because we're like really truly, um, what would you call it? We're really passionate, passionate about this. Yeah, we're, we're, we're passionate about. The, the mechanics and the, and the end And part, the output. And the yeah. output. Whereas like you, you could say that sometimes influencers, they, they're just passionate about the output, the, 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 end, the end thing, what you see. But not the input. But not the <laughs> input. Or the mechanics or the logistics. Well, you mentioned the terminology influencers, but that's not by the definition of what's in, in a dictionary. That's by definition of social media mm -hmm. terminology. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, um, you know, by marketing standards, in what influencers are seen now are, are not really what influence is by definition. And you should definitely put yourself in that category as an influencer. I introduced you at the beginning of the podcast as an influencer because mm. I feel like that is actually truly what you are and you don't do it for the bag if, if, that, if that makes sense. Like mm. you influence because you know that your work is going to influence <laughs> in, and make a difference in someone's life. Whether mm -hmm. it's inspiring them to listen to a piece of information or whether it's inspiring them to listen to a piece of music. It's influence. That is all mm. influence. That's active influence. That, that's the, that's the, true, the true definition of what an influencer is. But an influencer now has become basically an influencer now is a social media master. That's what they are nowadays. They're social media masters. It's a yeah, almost a billboard. They're just a billboard. And I don't want to. I don't even want to take anything away from them like that because I respect the hustle because I'm a hustler. I'm a hustler <laughs> too, man. I look at so many things I've achieved along the way as a hustle. So much yeah, finessing and hustling. The hustle needs to be synonymous with the with the art and the creative. It needs to be. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. That, big that, time. That, that is probably one of the things I look back at most is rah, the hustle. Some of the hustles of getting into rooms and doing things. Don't get it twisted, man. Some of the most successful people that you know have been involved in some grand hustles. Finesse. Because when you finesse, that enables you to do a next finesse. Do you know what I'm saying? True, like, true. Like, 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 let's look at the fickle society, yeah? I know, and obviously, like, credit where due, like, you brought up the picture catalogue that I have. I think that so many opportunities that I get to get, have, it's because of my photo archive. People, wow. they, they're, they're not thinking about, like, the actual talent, the actual, nah, they, they see that it's, it's almost, it's, it's like a publicity stunt. 
Yeah, they see the Kodak moment and that's yeah, it. Yeah, they see the Kodak moment. But like, it's just a testament again to like um, the, the social media masters and having the Kodak moment, man. I guess people, it's human behavior that. as well. Humans are, are based on just instant imagery. All right, so you talked about the hustles. I'm glad you took it there. Can you recall a moment of you having finessed a dope, you know, whether it was a picture or a situation? I know your your drops archive is sick too. Not, not just the pictures. Like, you get some of the best drops and you always ensure that you get the best drops too. Like, I've, I've been in situations with you and you've always got me drops as well, which is I, I, like I thank you so much for because... Not many people think of other people in these situations. As you said, it's such a hustle to even get into a room that it's like, all right, I've got here. Now I've got to think about someone else. So mm. I really respect that and I rate that. Thank you. No problem. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, can you actually recall a time when you feel like, damn, I did the thing? Wow. What do you think, man? I don't know if I'm going for it. This might not sound too much fun, man, but I do look back at one of the beginning finesses of like, I've told you about some of the finesses and hustles so far. And I do, they they were the finesses and hustles that got the ball rolling. The guy, Adam, who was in the house with his decks and I finessed him into letting me come in the room and watch him DJ because I told him my dad, who was a mechanic, that he wanted to work probably on his car. So I used that as a carrot. Let me in the room so you could make this recording, this set, this CD for my dad. Um, that was a big finesse. And like basically getting in at the BBC as well, man, was a massive finesse as well because again, knowing the like reception guy and that leading to me working at the BBC and getting so many opportunities and launch padding, which then had me around so many people and learning so many things, which then allowed me to manoeuvre to the next thing. You did mention uh, Eminem story, the voicemail thing. Oh, the voicemail. <laughs> yeah man Eminem Eminem done a voicemail for me man like he done a voicemail for me on one of my first phones I had man I don't even know how we got into that man I've been around Eminem a few times and on that occasion I think I was I was with my sister and I asked him to do my voice my voicemail how did you get into the room with Eminem in the first place on that occasion I can't remember do you know what? I don't think we was in a room. I think we was actually outdoors. We was outdoors. We was outdoors and we was there. We was around somewhere and we was outdoors. And yeah, I asked him to do my voicemail on my phone. We was talking for a little while. I asked him to do a voicemail on my phone. But what do you mean a voicemail? Like you gave him your number and he left a voicemail? I, I, I don't him, get it. No, I gave him my <laughs> phone to record the... the vo You know, like when you phone up someone and they're like, oh, I can't come to the phone right now because... Oh. So he record my voice message that people would hear the when they the phone phone yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, voice yeah. message. So that's what he recorded. But then, because I was young them times, my phone got cut off one time because I couldn't pay the bill. I didn't pay the bill, whatever. And when when the phone got cut off and they put it back on again, um, the voicemail Lost. was gone. So I should have actually recorded that on a separate recording device and then put it on my voicemail as opposed to him recording it directly to my voicemail. Into the, yeah, mailbox. You know what I'm saying? What phone was it? Oh, man, it was like a Panasonic phone. Oh, my days, you had a Panasonic too? My first mobile phone was a Panasonic phone. <laughs> Me too? Yeah. 
Yo, my my mm. thing had an aerial on it. Do you know what? I actually, again, I'm a bit, I'm not a hoarder. I promise I'm not a hoarder. But I do have collections of things and I keep them in pretty good um, condition. I have yeah. a lot of phones. I have a lot of phones. Like I have a box full of phones of all of my old phones. Oh my God. Well, they're in a box. My dad's got them in an actual case. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I, Displayed I just... like a museum. Oh, for real? In, in what, his house? Yeah, Malta, yeah. That's dope. It's got a little, like, it's a big, like, brick phone. It's actually quite interesting. Yeah, man, they're historical items, man. I sold one phone. I remember I sold one of my iPhones. And then another iPhone I lent to somebody. And then they never gave it back to me. And we fell out. But that's that. That's so peak. Apart from that, I have, I'd say, the majority of all my old phones. Uh, I mine are somewhere as well, but I need to let, get rid of the hoarder in me really badly. Mm. It's terrible. I w- I've been watching a Wu Tang documentary talking about meeting artists and stuff. I've been watching a Wu Tang documentary, and I'm a big Wu. I'm quite. A, I'm a Wu Tang fan. I like Wu Tang. Yeah. The documentary is called. I think it's called Of Mice and Men, and um, it's four episodes. It's a mini documentary series, and the third episode of the documentary centered around ODB, who is one of the nine members of Wu Tang who passed away in 2004. Um, I met him. I met the Wu Tang one time. I met RZA, Method Man. Um, ODB and forgive me I feel like somebody else was there as well but that was an epic night because I met ODB again we was very young and we like had a conversation and we were talking and randomly he was like yo come back to the hotel man like which kind of sounds mad because obviously man's young though but ODB was a crazy character he was like yo come back to the hotel man we're gonna have drinks and stuff and blah 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 so man was getting into like the 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 like whatever the vehicle was like the it was like a like an eight seat a vehicle man was getting yeah. in the door because ODB was like coming and Meth was like where you going Meth and man was like where you going Raf was like ODB said we could come back like to the hotel and stuff like and like um yeah that 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 never happened but that would have been mad fun. what do you mean oh you ne- you never got to the hotel never we never ended up going back to the hotel man probably for you know good. Well, I don't know, man. It would have been just an experience, man. I was always a well, I was always a well-behaved young kid. Always, man. I never got into like stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? How did the interviewer in you come out so prominently? Well, to be like a big factor of who SK Vibe Maker is now. Was it a case of like, as, as you said, like a natural transit transition, just going with the wind or... Did you find something that you really could excel in? Um, I don't know. Do you know? Because I was, I was shy, man. I was shy. And I think being part of like this music thing, even though I say we was clashing in the school corridors and all this kind of stuff, I was like fairly shy. So being involved in this music thing along the years has been like an emancipation of my character as a, as a human. Do you know what I'm saying? Um we started doing a documentary around 04 times. That's when we started doing hella interviews, man. We done hella interviews. Um, I'm going to show you something, actually. Look, I've actually got some of the... Look at this. Prepared guests with... Um, I made this one earlier. This is the documentary <laughs> right here. Yeah. Let me put this back on. The Chronicles DVD, yeah? 
So this is when we started doing mad interviews. So I felt like at this time was when we basically started crash coursing in, de in, in, in doing interviews. Like we recorded, like this DVD must have been about two and a half hours long. And I reckon we done like no hesitation. No, 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 no. Exaggeration. It, yeah? No exaggeration. <laughs> that's it. No exaggeration. Yeah. We must have done 60 hours worth of interviews. Oof. 60 hours. So we were just crash coursing. We were, doing a, we were having a crash course in doing interviews. So since then, 04, 05 times is when I got this taste of having these conversations, even though I was mad cheeky. When I listen back to like the outtakes and stuff from, from this DVD, the Chronicles DVD, features people like Klashnikov, Skinny Man, SAS, Mega and Mayhem, Sway, Kano, Mike GLC, Paris One, Shiesty, Lethal Bizzle, Mitchell Brothers, Biggs, Shola Amar, Pro Green, Demon, Lady Fury, Nathan, Meridian, Bruiser, Nole, Aftershock, Baby Blue, Rodney P, DWE, Jammer, Boy Better Know, Roll Deep, Akala, Ace and Viz, Sincere. Hella people on there, yeah? We just done bare interviews and I just got the taste and was mad cheeky. I've, 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 like, I've improved and I've stayed a student as well. I didn't study anybody. I don't feel like I studied anyone. But man. you felt like you took the yeah. lead in those situations. You was Mike A. Um, nah, nah, nah. So me and Rain Man, we was um, in SK Vibe Makers when it was the two of us. We we used to share the responsibility. But I was I was always the, I feel like, and I'm not trying to take extra credit. I always felt like I was the logistical person. So I was always arranging the interviews, arranging how to get to the interviews, where the interviews would take place. So, and doing research and all those kind of stuff. So I feel like that gave me the edge. And I always took it as a case study. Right. So, um, so yeah, man, that's where the hunger, the hunger came from, man. I remember my first, it might not even be, the, but the first memory of doing a solo interview, I remember was with Tayo Cruz. Tayo Cruz in 2008. It was the first interview that I'd done by myself. Okay. Well, how did yeah. that feel? What was, uh, were you extra prepared or were you, did you feel underprepared? Yeah. I've always, I always, I always, because the maddest things before then. So before then, like I, I just sort of spoke about the logistics and stuff like arranging interviews and having certain research and that we used to head top interviews. Mm. So it wasn't like we never had to set, um, set questions. We used to like just freestyle the interviews. Yeah. Mad. yeah so it, when it when it got to around that time and doing my first solo interview of Tyler Cruz in 2008 is when I started preparing properly. You know what I'm saying? Properly, like, and I still have the same format of how I do interviews now, man. I have a proper, like, journey of how I do. So I, I need to paint a picture because I, I suffer from having a bit of a bad memory. So my preparation is to get me to get some sort of format because I don't want to ask a question, not finish that question properly and then have to come back. I want to have a journey in the way that I do an interview and I also want to be able to sort of reference particular things. I, I can't really rely on my brain to do that stuff. So I need to have like a, a, a something to refer to. It does actually encourage the guests to, to be more interactive with you. When, when, when they know that you are actually informed, they, yeah, you know their stuff. Yeah, they're way more likely trick, to interact. And you know what? There's a trick as well, because I will tell you this again. There are some artists, some new artists or some artists that maybe I'm not too, they're not my favorite type of artist that I have not known much about. And I've got this one hour um, format that I use. So every interview that I do, I do an hour of preparation. 
no more, no less. Unless I've just got spare time. But I tend to do an hour. Doesn't matter how big or small the artist is. That hour enables me to go into an interview and and for that artist to to make they 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 think that I'm like <laughs> their biggest fan. Like there's there's artists that I've gone in and done interviews with and they've given me hella credit of like, oh, you know all of this stuff. Thank you for being such a, a supporter and fan. I'm like, I just done an hour of research on you. I don't know what everybody else is doing. And I've done that stuff today. Before today, I never knew nothing about you. Wow. Do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? So I always make sure that probably even I would do more research over actually listening to the music. But then I do like to listen to the music as well because I like to make reference to certain key parts of songs and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But just having a general, like being a general student and having a general knowledge and staying up to breast with things in music, you tend to generally know things about artists anyway. That's what I'm saying. But, um, you're, a yeah. continue, you're a continual sponge. It's not like you you turn it on and off, like you're constantly actually receiving information and, you know, processing it and it's kind of stored in your brain. I feel like that anyway. But obviously there's going to be artists that you feel like you're well more well-versed on and, you know, you're going you're gonna to actually go into a conversation feeling pretty confident that this is going to go smoothly and you don't really have to remember much. But then there's the other side. On the flip side, you might know so much about an artist that you get in front of them and you you just blank. That has that ever happened to you? No. Oh my god. No. That that hasn't happened to me, man. I feel like I've always said to myself, I wonder if that would have happened if I interviewed Jay Z. Like Jay Z's <laughs> like to me number one. Like he's the he's the best rapper of all time. Still still is like still can go bar for bar. There's a lot of artists, rappers in particular. I feel like get older don't have nothing to say, run out of ideas or whatever. But Jay-Z somehow has just like um, broken the rule and managed to be so many, how many? 90s, noughties, teenies, and now four decades in the game, like now that we're in 2020, and still can go bar for bar with your newest artist, your new hot artist. Easily. You know what I'm saying? Like he he's broke the rules. Yeah, he's definitely broken every boundary. All right, so maybe not blanking then. How about a time when... An interview went totally left, and I've oh, man, I've accompanied that, that you. To the best I've accompanied of you in a yeah, few, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, that happens. That happens. That happens to the best of us, and all you can do from that is learn. But sometimes things are out of your hands as well because you could just have, you could just have like a bad. You could you could you could meet the artist and they're having a bad day. You know what I'm saying, Migos in it, man. I know like Migos was one of the infamous ones from over the years, man. And because that there's always this cheeky part of me. Sometimes I look back at things and I say, did you have to say that? Or was it better that you didn't say that? So I'd done an interview with Amigos and it definitely wasn't the best interview. And then so afterwards, this was in 2015. I feel like it was the early part of them doing interviews. So, so early. They probably didn't have like the media training. They wasn't as charismatic in interviews as they are now. So, um, and sometimes artists are charismatic, but just when it comes to showtime or interview time, they're just not really, not really on it. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, it wasn't the best interview. So afterwards I've said to them like, right, you man, you don't really like interviews. You weren't really giving me much in that. Yeah. Next thing I know, Quavo's squaring up to me, bro. <laughs> Quavo's squaring up to me like he wants to fight me. It's all good for me to fight. We could fight. I'm not really, I'm not a fight. I'm not into that. I defend myself. I'm not going to let no one take liberties. But then in my brain, I just have to think, this is, I have to take a smart choice. I wasn't, I wasn't even compelled to fight him anyway, but he wanted to fight. He was squaring me up. 
I thought it was unfair. I've just like, I'm here to, my words to him were, bro, it's not that. I'm here to support you. I'm here to, I'm here to do an interview with you. Like, I'm not here to like aggravate and get into ruckus with you. Did that simmer him down? I said down? that in so many words. And then he, yeah, it simmered him down. But we took a picture before that. We, we actually took the picture before that. And then after, it just reinforced to me that I always live by this thing like, I don't intend to actually be friends with artists. Not because I want to pee them off. Because a lot of the times there is, um, you can love an artist's music and then you meet them and you're disappointed by the way they are. Or I separate the music from the artist. The music, the music, unless there's an absolute scumbag and a scoundrel and there's something morally that they're doing wrong, I separate the music from the artist. So even after we went through that incident with Migos, um, I went through that incident with Migos. We went to the show afterwards. I enjoyed the show and I was like, cool. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Dude, I'm just trying to, because I, I wasn't in the room with you at, at that time, but I'm trying to picture it. Like, did Takeoff and Offset just get up as well? You know when they Joe Budden, like the Joe... No, this was, so this was after, so this was after. So, you know, like, they've like all left the room and then we're like ah. finishing up or whatever. And I think it was just, no, but the thing is, I don't actually think I said it to Quavo. I think I said it <gasps> you s to like Offset. Did I, did I say it to Offset or Takeoff? I don't know, but, but I said it to was it something that maybe like you said it to the PR person and he overheard or something? I don't know. Like I, I maybe because I don't feel like I said it. I don't feel like I said it to Offset though. So I've said it like oh no to Quavo. You know, yeah no. to, to to Quavo. I didn't say it to Quavo. Quavo was the one who confronted me. I didn't say it to Quavo. So I've said like ah oh, you know either they don't like interviews or you man don't no no because I remember saying you man don't like interviews and stuff to whoever it was. I have a, I have a take off or or Offset, and it, but Quavo's come to me. <laughs> Quavo's the one who's come to me to square up, I'm though. I'm dead. So funny. I've done an interview with Guru from Gangstar. Yeah, I've sat down with him, yeah? R.I.P., rest in peace. And he's with... I can't remember this guy's name who he's with, yeah? But he's sitting next to him in an interview. But I'm here to interview Guru. There's been no dialogue before the interview that I'm interviewing Guru and said person. Said person sitting next to Guru from Gangstar. I'm interviewing Guru. Few minutes into the interview, my man, said person, said, I can't remember my man's name though. He said like, what, am I just going to sit here and you're not going to ask me no questions or something like that. Then Guru said, no questions for blah, blah. No questions for Guru. Got up and walked out of the interview. Well, Guru and Plus One. Yeah. They've both walked out. Well, Guru's the only one I'm concerned with because that's who I'm there to interview. And he's walked out of the interview. And Plus One, didn't, and you didn't know him. Like, you didn't have... He doesn't have no, a role. There was... Yeah. Well, like, what was he an artist? He's a producer. Oh, he's a producer. He's a producer. But I was there to interview Guru. So that's, <laughs> that's another interview that went left. Oh, my goodness. I love this. There are not many interviews have gone left like that, though, like. You know what? As I said, like these experiences make your history way more just colourful, I guess. Because they can't, mm. no, like nothing can ever just be plain sailing. And it's way more funny and interesting to talk about this than it is almost to get to talk about the perfect scenarios. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You learn, yeah, man. You, you live, live and you, you learn. learn. So you have developed the, the podcasting into 
your own standalone podcast, which is delivered weekly. I mean, it start, we started together. We used to um, deliver mm -hmm. Unlock the Podcast. And then you went into Onsite Podcast that was, mm -hmm. you know, very much rooted in commentary, cultural music commentary. Why have you decided to, to take this route and, and really just put your all into it? Onsite is a onsite podcast is an outlet, man. It's um, a forum to discuss, you know, current things. Aside from radio, I think that's where the the lines get blurred. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but daytime radio, and I've been doing daytime radio for the last five six years. It's about a bit of personality, but not long talking links. So the podcast gave me another outlet to to debate and like, you know, get into, you know, the commentary of what, of, you know, the cultural commentary of like what's happening at the moment and, you know, get a bit more expansive on things. And it's been fun, man. I mean, like most things that I like to do, I like to always think of me being a student and it being an ongoing development. And that's like what it is with Onsite, man. We've staggered like the stages of how it's grown. You know what I'm saying? The first batch of um, episodes, I think we're up to episode like 36 now. The first batch of episodes weren't filmed. Then we started filming a bit. Now we're filming every episode. Um, I think it was bi-weekly before and when we started. Then it started, then now it's weekly. Obviously, barring lockdown, we've had a bit of a break and now we've just started it up again on the Zoom yeah. in the virtual rooms and um, yeah, it just gives another outlet, a different outlet to radio. Because I don't think daytime radio is supposed to be so talky-talky and debatey-debatey. It's where I think some people get it twisted. So I use it as a different well, outlet. Well, yeah, there's man. way less restrict. Well, there are pretty much no restrictions unless you're playing mm. music, which is obviously you can't do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like in terms of talk radio, podcasting is an avenue that is seems to be big business now. And we're seeing... A lot of interest, a lot of exclusivity from the platforms themselves. So, so yeah, I feel like that seems to be something that we should definitely be putting our efforts into as radio personalities, but also taking ownership of, of the content and taking pride in what we do, right? And making sure that we're, we are, um, you know, someone like you, you, you're your own creative director. As you said, like even the fact that you were on radio and the fact that it was under a bigger brand, Rinse FM, and you still, you know, you still do shows on there, but you you still feel like there's a governing body. But you know, in in these sort of formats, we are our own boss, and I think it's it's great. Mm. And you know what? To be honest, I don't want to say that even starting a podcast was like on some control demon type <laughs> of thing, because I'd like um, it's important to for me. It's been important to regain. Um, an element, a substantial element of control of my radio show. And that's always been there, especially on Rinse as well, man, and doing daytime radio and doing four four days a week of radio since 2015. That's when I started doing four days a week in the afternoon. Then in 2017 is when I started doing a breakfast show four days a week as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've always had like a lot of control, yeah. a lot of flex no, that's good. with those shows, man. So I know we're missing the clubs, you're missing the dance, I know you, you're dying to get back, but what else is in store for SK Vibe Maker? I don't know if you want to talk about 
further advancement of the many boxes that you, you, you've been ticking in your life? Yeah, I can't wait to get back to, you know, the new normal. Um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of appreciating and respecting this part that we're in at the moment as well. It's definitely like a recharge, um, a reboot and a recharge. There's been time to sort of definitely think and address things and sort of really like, it's been, it's been a time of like enlightenment and improvement. You know, like when you're just actually having like a, um, a self audit, <laughs> I've been having a self audit on many things. So there's been a lot of self auditing for the, for the good going on as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man, looking forward to getting back into the podcasting in person, the interviews and um, radio and DJing, you know, in the flesh, but also, yeah, man, started up a new venture which everyone should get to hear about very soon. If you're not getting to hear about it, I'm not doing my job properly. So we've definitely taken this time, me and my business partner, to start up a new venture, which I'm looking forward to getting my teeth into, man. We've been doing some things behind the scenes as well um, while, while whilst in lockdown. But yeah, man, we're going to truly implement things while when we get back to the new normal, man. So it's going to be an exciting Exciting chapter. This as is well. why you can't mess with SK because he will get your teeth into you know into you not your hands. <laughs> oh man, I'm not. And and the funniest he thing is I don't teeth. even eat meat like that. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't even have to say no. No, I don't put, need to even put no disclaimer in there. I'm 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 cool with it. I don't even eat meat like that. I eat fish, and that might even make it sound worse. But I don't care. Oh my days! <laughs> why did you see? This is always you, SK. You take it somewhere, no, always. I'm not taking it nowhere. I, I've got a funny relationship with chicken at the moment. I eat it very sporadically. Same. Maybe like three times, two, even if, if I eat chicken three times a month, that's a max out. But I, I, I eat more fish. And yeah, man, fish. Same. To be honest, I've pretty much adopted a vegan, vegetarian lifestyle during lockdown because it's way more easy to cook. Uh, less mess, less smells, less everything. <laughs> mm, and more up. energy levels. This is really good. Well, SK, it's been so good to, to do this again. Round two has actually been better articulated, I believe. I didn't even listen to the older mm. one. I just freestyled this one. Um, but actually, me and SK, you, was, you were actually the first DJ that I had look at my first my introductory dj days like <laughs> really you came up to me at an event called music is my drug which was my first ever yeah. dj gig that was your first dj gig yes oh scene and you was like i remember the first question you asked me you was like are you using serato <laughs> what did i say what did i say he said are you using serato Ah, uh, that's what I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that night, though. Was was I judging that night or was I just there? No, I think you were just there. In, um... Yeah, I was just there. The bedroom bar or something. Was it on Brick Lane? Yeah. Uh, no, not not the fleet. No, the bedroom the bedroom bar was, um... It's around, like, near, near cargo. cargo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where it was, yeah. Straight up. Shouts to Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison, which I'm not related yeah, to. Yeah, you get me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. What year was that, though? 2012. Is that when I met you? I've known you for eight years now. That's yeah? mad. That's mad. Yeah, you get me. <laughs> Jeez. It's been long. Yeah, man. 
Yeah, but I came up to you because I know that you was vibes in that night. You was carrying a vibe. Was I? That's what I came up to. Yeah. I was hearing the vibes. I came over like, yo, what's going on, innit? <laughs> Respect the DJ. Credit the DJ. Salute the DJ. Was it one of them situations, though, where you're like, oh, here we go. Who's this new DJ on the scene? I never feel like that, you know? That's good. No, I never, I never ever feel like that. I feel, I think that, again, I don't want to, like, self-credit myself but i think there's a lot of people that might say that i've given them some recognition early do you know what i'm saying like i know there's a few people that have said to me like oh you were the first um person to book me or the first person to holler at me or the first person to do this and that blah 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 i'm never like i never look at new djs and be like turn my nose up i just like i like the fact that new djs that care about the art form not DJs that are using it as like a stepping stone. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like if you're if you're if you're gonna DJ, respect the art form, like do your research, like appreciate the history and all that. But perspective though, innit? Because like your new age DJ now, they're not gonna care about decks and all of that stuff. I don't even really care about decks. I stepped on the decks the other day and I was like, that's why these vinyl here in my front room is just a prop. I'd never wanna play them. I got back on the 1210s of the other day when I was trying to do a live stream on Instagram and I was like, oh my days, I'm not even used to them anymore. I don't like the feel. I'm so used to CDJs. So the yeah. game moves, man, and it evolves and we shouldn't be scared. Like evolve or be extinct. Nah, for real. And I could definitely say that you've been a facilitator for many people, uh, especially, yeah, with me as well. So, you know, I'm here to give you your flowers and I'm here to say... The SK Vibe Maker is a national treasure. That's it. Oh, thank you. That's a big, that's a big uh, honor. <laughs> it is. No, trust me, man. Not only because we're friends, but honestly, like, I will always applaud you. Thank you for the time, man. Like I said, a lot of people don't do this type of stuff, innit? <laughs> it's been fun. It's been fun. So, yeah, check out SK. What, what can, where can they find you? Obviously, your YouTube channel, all of that skvimaker.co.uk man that plugs you with everything the podcast the radio show the mixes whatever else you need to know man where man's gonna be at and all of that the interviews blah 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 I don't know if I said interviews twice but yeah interviews mean a lot I like doing interviews wait <laughs> the first question I said how did the phrase if you don't know now you know come about which is coming full circle so if you don't know now you know is not actually something I can claim if you don't know now you know is actually um it's a it's a um what would you call it a feature that I've done on my radio show for a very long time which celebrates anniversaries um whether it be an artist release anniversary um you know like you know today is 10 years since whatever album came out or like today is I, I tend to center the, if you don't know, now you know, spotlight feature around release anniversaries. Yes. And if you don't know, now you know, comes from Biggie. I can't remember what song it is right now, but it's one of, it's one of Juicy. them notorious B.I.G. Juicy. Yeah, there you go. And I took that acapella and used that as the, the, the feature jingle. But if you're talking about know yourself out here. Oh, that's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. So know yourself out here is My a bad. phrase that like, know yourself out here is a phrase that we've been using since the Shotter Crew days, man. It's like we used to just say to each other, know yourself out here. And it's taken on like a life of its own, man. Know yourself. Know where you're coming from. Know where you're going. Know your worth. Know your origins. Know your, know your like, your, your, your cultural history. Everything, man. 
intentions. Know yourself out here. Facts. That's a perfect note to end this on. Know mm. yourself out here. Know yourself in every possible way. Love that. SK Vibe Maker in the chat podcast, Sarah Harrison. We are finished. Done. <laughs>